I want to talk to you about uh, becoming a Christian, what it is. And I want to draw your attention to the passage that I read to you, Mark chapter 2, and verses 18 to 22. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting? But yours aren't. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They can't, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. All right, so your people, and they've got this question about uh, what real religion is all about. Some people fast, don't they? Some people have a month, and they fast until it grows dark. Others don't. Who is right? What is, can you tell, what true religion is? And uh, especially they notice that Jesus' disciples seemed a little lax. Because most people think you're very religious if you uh, lie on a bed of nails or you don't, uh, you're a vegetarian and uh, you don't eat food until uh, it gets dark or you have religious ceremonies every, every week or every day even. And the more religious you are, then you do more things like that. But Jesus went to weddings and his disciples and they didn't fast. They often have parties and Jesus goes and sits with them and he talks with them and they eat good food together. So, what is this business of real religion? What is this business of being a real Christian? Well, the first answer that Jesus gives is that true religion is joy at the presence of a living Savior. That's what true religion is. So our Lord is looking at things in a very different way from the man in the street looking at things, or the way the BBC looks at things. He compares religion to marriage. And marriage, we know, is launched at a wedding. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast when he's with them? They cannot as long as he's with them. Um, You go to a wedding, you've been to weddings. Less and less weddings these days, of course, but you know what a wedding is like. You have the reception afterwards and you have food together. And the waitress comes around and the first thing she says is, soup or melon, doesn't she? And there's these tables here. But say, no thanks, neither for me, thank you. Well, that's all right. You know, the pernickety people, they're everywhere. The second course then, and they came with the, the potatoes and the peas with a big lump of butter on top, and they come with a big bowl of steaming gravy, and they come with steaming, delicious, tender Welsh lamb. There it is on the table. No one takes anything. They all sit there, heads are down. Notice they're all dressed in black, black ties. The bridegroom's father who's paying for this, the bride's father who's paying for this, really upset. 
The bridegroom is really upset. He goes, eat, no, eat, no. They won't eat. They're all sober, long-faced. At a wedding? And the bride's crying, the bridesmaids are crying, and there's a ghastly silence as the few people in, in the feast do eat, but the, maybe we shouldn't eat. What are the rules here? They don't know what it is. What an insult to the people who called you. Newspapers are full of it. Reuters broadcast it around the world. A wedding, which should be a time for funny speeches and joy and laughter, is characterized by people refusing to eat. They couldn't be Christians, could they? Who'd act like that and spoil a wedding like that. The Lord is using that picture to show the life-enhancing transformation that his presence brings to an individual or a family or a congregation. When Jesus is there, then burdens are lifted. And people know joy and and peace. This is a wedding day, he says. They're at a wedding, that's why they are not fasting. Andrew and John and Peter and James and, and, and Jude and Levi and the paralyzed person and the just been healed and the leper who's just been cleansed they're not fasting they are dancing slapping them on the back have you heard this do you know what's happened and so on what a wonderful day God brings together a man and a woman some meet in college and some meet after college and they fall in love with one another she watches him she looks at him how does he behave What are his values? How does he behave with women, with his parents, with her parents? He's looking. and How kind is he? How undemanding? How tender? How considerate? And then when he asks her to marry him, she accepts his proposal and they become joined together in marriage. The two become one flesh. It's a creation ordinance. It's not a sacrament. It goes back before sacraments were brought in by Jesus. It goes back to Eden. Not good for man to be alone. God invented marriage. One man, one woman. That's where he put solitary people. Weddings celebrate that reality. And some of the biblical writers, they compare heaven and what lies before us to a great wedding celebration. There's a marriage feast. And there is Christ, the groom, and we are, uh, we are the bride. We are Christ's bride. And uh, there are foretastes of it in Christian fellowship, in Christian worship. Jesus present with his people. It will be more full and more wonderful in that great day. There will be no loneliness in heaven and no feelings of self-pity that nobody loves me. And uh, there'll be praise and celebration. He took me into his banqueting house and his banner over me was love. That's what the Lord has done. He sent his son as the bridegroom. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride with his own blood. He bought her and for her life he died. And so here is this wonderful picture. There'll come a time, of course, Jesus says, when the bridegroom will be taken away. He'll be wrenched, he'll be tied up and chained and pulled away from his bride. 
and they'll beat him up and they'll smash him in the face and they'll whip him and they'll crucify him and, and kill him. And in that day, they won't be celebrating then, eating and drinking. and They'll all be fasting. They'll all be so sad because the Jesus they love and the Jesus they serve, he's been killed by cruel men. There's a time. But now the bridegroom is with them. And they're not going to walk around Galilee all dressed in black and down. They're going to be rejoicing because the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame leap like deer and the dead are raised to life again. So true religion is about knowing the man who can do this. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We are his. He loved us and he gave himself for us. That's religion, knowing him. His life in us, not ceremonies you add, not things you give up. We don't meet here and, uh, and, and there's never a smile and there's no joy because uh, we have our Lord with us, the risen. It's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. It's the day Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we keep this day every week. And we have his presence with us every week. Oh, I am my beloved's, and my beloved's mine. He brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand, not e'en where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. So, real religion is about having a new status, a new relationship. With Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So that's the first thing Jesus says in answering why his disciples just then are not fasting. Second thing he says, and this again, he comes, approaches things at a very different angle in answering questions and the way we approach things. He says, patched up old wineskins always burst. Okay? Patched up old wineskins always burst. Jesus is making two observations here. You don't, he says, you don't give up certain things to become blessed by God. That's not the purpose of giving up some things in order to win the blessing of God. Verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old making the tear worse. Okay, these were days when you didn't have uh, sanferized cloth. I'm dating myself here. Pre-shrunk materials. Um, But here's a carpenter's son, and he knows, because he's watched his mother. He's lived uh, 30 years at home with her, and he saw her darning and sewing up his half-brothers and sisters. And uh, he knew that you didn't use a new piece of cloth to uh, patch up an old garment because a new piece of cloth was an unshrunk piece of cloth. And when you put it in the washing and you you brew it out, it had shrunk and it pulled away the edges of the old cloth that didn't shrink at all and it uh, tore the garment. Well, no, that's... That's what he says. That's true, isn't it? You can understand it. It's very simple, a very vivid illustration. What does it mean? He is a woman. She says, oh, my husband, he's, he's 
great guy, but he's just got one bad habit. He, he uses profanity. That's my husband. And if he could only overcome that habit, then he could join the church, she says. Well, it's a barometer that might indicate a change of heart or simply that he's getting a little more educated. But her assumption is that uh, her husband, if she could just patch up this, this one weakness in his life, then all would be well with his soul. But she's forgetting that the old garment is going to be an old garment still. The old boy still be the old boy. And the old boy needs to change. Not the barometer of curses and swearing when he's frustrated. You think of a man who falls as low as, as he can fall. A philanderer, a drunkard, an adulterer, thief, a liar profanes the name of the Lord, desecrates the Lord's day, breaks every command set forth in Scripture. Now you suppose you can take away. He takes away. He gets feeble in old age like we do. and he, You take away these things one by one and he doesn't do those things any longer. He patches up every tear in his character. No longer an adulterer, no longer a drunkard, doesn't steal any longer, doesn't bear false witness. He's patched up all the tears. Doesn't mean he loves the Lord Jesus with all his heart, that he feels like a bride in the presence of her beloved bridegroom when she sees him and her heart beats faster because she's full of love for him. One doesn't become a Christian by patching up the old life, Jesus says. Now, if you are in love with Jesus Christ, you're going to change to please him. I know that. You're not going to steal. You're not going to spend time watching pornography. It's not going to be profanity. You're going to lace your speech by saying Jesus or Christ just to show that what a funny guy you are. You're not going to do that. There'll be changes, but the changes will be the fruit of an inward change. Okay? I have a friend. He comes from Kerfilly. He was walking around Kerfilly Park one Monday with the pram. And he noticed that there were a circle of 12 sycamore trees that someone had planted. And it was midwinter. And all the trees except one had lost all their leaves. But one of the 12 were still covered in dead leaves. And that was cool. And he saw the parky, the park keeper, uh, coming by and he said, oh, hello, how are you? And the park looks nice. One question, I've got this tree here. It's, it's still covered in leaves. And all the other sycamores, they've lost their leaves. Oh, it's a dead tree. Last August, there was a, a thunderstorm and the lightning struck that tree and killed it. And dead trees don't lose their leaves. Oh, well. It was a dead tree. There's a mechanism, you know, which come into effect now. We'll see it in the next six weeks, eight weeks. And then uh, the leaf is just shed by the tree because the weight of snow and everything would hurt the branches and 
That's what happens. But not if it's a dead tree. Imagine one day he gets the under gardeners to get their, their pruning uh, scissors and the, their aluminium ladders and they go around the tree and they cut off every leaf from every dead leaf. It's as bare now as they are. They all look identical. They all look the same. Not... 11 and 1, all 12, they all look the same. Still dead. Yet 11 are alive. Looks like them. You wouldn't know the difference looking at them. It's dead. Come the spring, and you'll see new buds, new life. Not with this tree, it's a dead tree. You can give up so many things and become moral and religious. Give up many things. You can add many things to your life. Doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is someone who loves Jesus Christ because he's given his life for us, shed his blood for us, rose from the dead for us, lives and prays for us, is always with us. Gives us every good and wonderful thing in life. Jesus Christ. He really does that. He's doing it now. you do it tomorrow. you do it wherever you are. This Jesus. Your Lord. Your Savior. And then Jesus says, you don't become religious by adding good behavior to your life. He says... Verse 22, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. He pours new wine into new wineskins. New wineskins. That's the need of the hour. New wineskins. You understand, uh, wine was kept in skins. When they, uh, they, when they slaughtered a sheep, they did it very carefully, and they kept the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the sack of the skin, they kept it very carefully. The only apertures were the orifices where the legs were and so on, the head had been, and they bound these. And then this new wineskin, when it was cured, it had a certain elasticity, like a balloon has. And uh, so when the wine expands, then the skin expands too. Wait, it's full of good wine. But in old wineskin, oh well, the man decides, is this, uh, is this one, he's got a bit hard now, and he judges it, and he's doing it all his life. He makes a mistake, one day there's a bang, and there's a lot of wine on the floor, and the wineskin has burst. Our Lord is talking about those who think of religion as adding new wine to old wineskins, try some religion. Add a bit of religion. Religion will fortify you. That's what you do. He is a man and he thinks if he adds church going to his life, well, that will make him uh, then a, a better person. Oh, I think going to church is tremendously important. It's the climax of every week. The church is a divine instrument by which then the means of grace are present, Christian fellowship, 
Christian praise, Christian preaching. The gifts of God are exercised in a, in a church like this. It helps us in our sanctification, that is our growing in the Christian faith. But you can go to church without any acceptance, any using of the means that God is giving you. You can say no. You can be very selective in what you hear and what you do. Here's a husband and wife and they have marital difficulties. They have real tensions and they read in Reader's Digest, uh, they read uh, an article to the effect that uh, people who go to church expect to have less marital problems than those who don't go to church. They say, let's try church. It's true. It's true. There are less marital difficulties if both of you are serving and loving and walking with Jesus Christ. But these people don't know that. They just think, if I sit in a certain pew uh, at half past ten on a Sunday, then my marriage can be saved. Just outward. You understand? Not a new wineskin. Just the new wine of going to church or philanthropy. Men are very generous, aren't they? They own... um, Stores, food markets, hundreds of them. And they're worth billions. And they give money to universities and to hospitals. I had a friend, Ron, Ron McKinney, and uh, there was a woman who loved the Lord in his congregation, and her father was a multimillionaire. He bought land in Louisiana and uh, in uh, East Texas when it was a penny an acre, and now it was worth a dollar an acre. And he was just, Loaded, and the bank opened for him at half past nine, particularly every Monday. She said, go and talk to him, please. You can see him at the bank. Go and talk to him. I talked to him, and he won't listen to me any longer. You talk to him, Ron. Ron went, I was really scared, he said. He stood on the pavement outside the bank. The chauffeur drove uh, the millionaire up, and he got out of the car. And he said, oh, excuse me, uh, he said, I'm a friend of your daughter. And uh, um, she's asked me just... Uh, to send you her greetings. The man was obviously offended that he was interrupted in his morning routine. And so uh, Ron said, God has been so good to you in your life, hasn't he? I've been good to God, he said. I've uh, given two wards of the hospital and I support them. I give scholarships to students from the high school to go to the university in the town, in the, in the state. I've been good to God. He just brushed him aside. He couldn't speak the gospel to him. He tried. Well, that's right. We can only try, can't we? I've been good to God. I've given a lot to to other people. I've been kind. Looked after my spouse with dementia. I've done all these things. And we think because of that, God is going to smile on us. God is good to us, not because we've done good things, but because Jesus has done good things. He's done perfect things. He's done wonderful things. All his life, such self-denying, caring, 
loving things Jesus did. Tens and tens of thousands of them. All day, every week, all through his life, he did it. He built up a righteousness. And when we are becoming Christians, we go to God and we give our failure, our pride, our sin. We give that to God. And God gives to us this righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. He made him to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what a, a Christian is. It's not adding things. It's not a guy and he's got a lovely garden, he's proud of his garden, but the eyesore is a crabapple tree at the end of the garden. He sits uh, and he looks through the French windows and he sees this crabapple, it's got a hundred tiny apples like marbles, hard, tasteless, bitter. One day he goes with his, uh, his scissors and he cuts them all off and he has a box of a uh, hundred gala apples and he ties them on the tree. And he goes back and he looks down and there's this, this, this tree loaded with delicious apples. Yeah, all right. All right, the sight. All right for a, a week or two until the autumn, winter winds blow. You see Jesus' point here. You, you see it, don't you? You do see it. I can see it in your faces that you don't become religious by things you cut out of your life and you don't become religious by things that you add to your life you become a Christian by being made a new wineskin a a new creation he's a guy and he's got a a young fellow, his first car, he's so excited about it. It's an old car. He knocks out the dents. He paints it yellow. He gives uh, artificial leopard skin covers. He puts a high spy system so you can hear three streets away that he's approaching. He planes the head and he increases the compression ratio. What has he got in the end? He's got still an old banger. A lemon. Souped up, cosmeticized, but a jalopy, that's what it is. And it can be the same with you and your religion. You like to meet with Christian folk because they're sweet and caring and generous and decent. And what they say, they do. They don't take advantage of you. You can add to your life good deeds. But with all the additions you make and all the subtractions you make, still you... Still you, with your old stony heart. Still self reigns in your heart. Still self. Me, ego, is in control of your life. You know it. You know that that's the case. You're still not a Christian. Why do we need, my third point, why do we need to be new wineskins? Well, because, you see, the problem is not these sins that we do or the good things that we don't do. That's not the problem. It's not the problem. 
people assume God condemns us, the holy God, because of our sins. We lust and we cheat and we steal and we profane the name of God. If only I could give up these things then, it would be well with our souls. But you're not under the condemnation of God because you sin. You're under the condemnation of God because you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You have a nature that's alienated from God. A nature that's corrupt and depraved at odds with God. Paul says we are by nature the children of of wrath. God's wrath, God's anger. When he looks in our hearts and imaginations and minds and our whole attitude to life, we say to God, back off. I won't have you be my Lord and my God. You don't become the children of wrath because you sin, but you sin because you're a child of wrath. You have a depraved nature. Why does a, a child have measles? Does it have measles because it has measles spots? No, it has spots because it has measles. We sin because we are sinners. When a child has a high temperature, we know he's ill. A child isn't ill because he has the temperature. The temperature is the symptom, not the cause. And when we take the child to the doctor, or the doctor comes to the house, or we take the child to the hospital, we expect the virus, the bacteria, the infection that caused the temperature to rise to be dealt with. And there's a course of antibiotics. And when the virus is killed, temperature drops, the child doesn't look flushed any longer. Problem in Aberystwyth with the university and the students or the people in the town is not the structure of things in Aberystwyth or the institutions, but the hearts of every student, of every boy, of every girl. And if we want to see changes in Aberystwyth and in Wales, then uh, people must be changed. It's not organizations. A little girl, she loved to play, and uh, she was sitting one day at the table, and then she saw a, a bowl of roses, and there were some buds there, in bud. So she took one out, and she took the green the green leaves that were around and then she found the red flowers and then she opened up the red flowers that were on the bed and opened them out and she destroyed she destroyed the bud she destroyed the flower and mummy she said look mother came in and she cried look I've destroyed this flower she was so down because of it her mother said The flower has to open from the inside. That's you. You need to open from the inside. Your heart and your mind and your conscience. Your soul and spirit. They they have to be opened because uh, out of the heart are all the issues of life. The most important conviction that you could have that you could take with you from this meeting this morning, the most important conviction is the conviction of sin. Your problem is a problem of sin. And David had that. When David, King David, 
had committed adultery and arranged a murder, he said. He came to this realization. It took about a year. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. He's saying there never was a time when I began to sin. I went astray from the womb, telling lies. David went back to his father Adam. And the sin and death that passed upon all men, that's the problem. You don't teach children how to sin. They know instinctively how to say, me, me, me. They know how to say that. What has Christ said in this chapter? I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's what he says. Verse 17, I read it to you. I haven't come into the world to say, righteous people, Pharisees, law keepers, you all come now. We'll have a little club. The moral majority of Israel club. And that's why I came, wasn't that? I came to call sinners. People are lost because they won't admit they are sinners. I don't get joy in my preaching because I can't find sinners. And all I have to say is directed to sinners, to people who know that they are sinners and that they sin because that's what their nature is. They don't understand how profound the problem is. So my last point to you is that old wineskins need to be changed into new wineskins. Dead sycamore, it needed more than its leaves to be removed. It needed life. Crab apple tree needs more than apples attached to it. It needs new life. New wine. The new wine of oh, the sweetness of a life with God of walking with Jesus Christ, of having him, of knowing what my purpose in life is, of knowing that my sins are forgiven. My friends, you need new wineskins. You need to be made alive, don't you? There was a man, he was a Pharisee, his name was Nicodemus, and he came to Jesus one night, and he said, we know you're a teacher sent from God because no man can do the things you do unless God is with him. And Jesus uh, wasn't impressed by the flattery I tell you the truth, Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God. You can't see it. You can't see it. You can't see what I'm saying to you today. You can't see it unless you are born again, Jesus said. He was an old wineskin. He was a good old wineskin. He was an old, old wineskin. He was a moral wineskin, but he needed to be born again. His religion and his behavior was... The comfortable old suit and slippers that he wore in his sitting back in his comfortable chair at the end of the day. And he liked the moral lifestyle, the bourgeois lifestyle that he had taken for himself. He needed to change. He did. We don't want you all to be religious. We don't want you all to be bourgeois. We want you to be made new creations. And that's a work of God. Before love and joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, wonderful fruit, before they can be poured into your life, you need to be a new wineskin to contain them, their force, 
the way they multiply, the way they are costly, the way they make demands on us in lives of service. You need a new heart, a new birth, a new beginning, a new wineskin. He doesn't say to Nicodemus, give birth to yourself. He doesn't say that. He doesn't tell Nicodemus to do anything. He tells Nicodemus what has to happen to him. He has to be born again. He hasn't got to do anything he's got to say. Give me life, Lord. Give me new birth, Lord. Make me a new creation, Lord. Nicodemus had no more power than a corpse to give himself life. He had to ask God for it. Repentance and trust and true love for the Lord Jesus are the fruit of the new birth. They're not the means of the new birth. They are what the new birth accomplishes. When you've gone to God and you say, Oh God, give me a new heart. You see how challenging this message is for us. Are you rejoicing in the presence of Jesus with us today? And hearing the words that Jesus has spoken to us today. Are you rejoicing like uh, you've got this wonderful guy as your husband and it's the wedding and there he is and he's making a speech and he's saying, ah, as soon as I saw her I thought she was wonderful. I never thought she'd marry me. And, ah, your heart beats because you love him. Jesus brings you here today and he reminds you again of your great debt to him how much you owe him and your heart beats with thankfulness for what Jesus has done for you have you seen your need old wineskins have you seen your need to be made new have you seen it have you seen your need to be born from above you can't patch up your life by adding things you can't patch up your life by taking away some dirty things you do it's no good, a little, a little drop of new wine of good works, a little drop of wine of kindness, a little drop of wine of thoughtfulness for other people. You want the rivers to flow from heaven into your heart and life. All the weight, think of that fall from heaven. And it's focused on you and to contain it and not to burst. You need a new, strong, supple wine screen that will last forever and ever. You go and ask God to give you that one skin to make you a new creation. You must be joined to Jesus Christ, to the strength of Jesus to keep you. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for bringing this message to us that analyzes us and shows us how clever we want to be in our own eyes in thinking that we'll go to church when we get to Aberystwyth on the first Sunday and not go again. We write to our parents and say, we, we went to church. And we think that we can fool them and fool thee and fool ourselves in these ways. God have mercy on us. Change us. Make us new wineskins. Show us there's no good going on as we've been pretending that we're Christians and not being real Christians. Lord, save us. Change our souls and hearts. Take away this stony heart and give it 
a heart of flesh, make us new creations. Oh, Lord, do it. Do it, we pray. Holy Spirit, come upon every unconverted old wineskin here and make them new wineskins, please. And fill them with the wine of heaven forever and ever. And all of us, Lord, make us more supple and sweeter and willing to serve and give service to one another. Oh, God, hear our prayers and give honor and glory to Jesus by answering them. We ask in his name. Amen.